Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in cars going to festivals. So this is super quickly becoming a multi-part series as we sit here chatting about stuff. But more on managing the magical with so, omens. Yeah, the next like big magical piece in a quarter of ritual is taking the omen. Um, so a lot of people don't think about this as magical. Oh, it absolutely is magical to me. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because it's... Well, okay, so I define magical as things that... Okay, I don't define it well. (laughs) (laughs) I I define poorly things that are magical as woo that exists in multiple realms. I am totally going to quote you on that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The definition of magic, according to Reverend Jan Avende... Poorly. Woo that it missed. Poorly. <laughs> woo that exists in multiple realms. Someone's going to sh- put that into a study program. It'd be great. And yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get legs, <laughs> I'm sure of it. <laughs> no, but like, so th- there is always the question of is divination, is omen taking magic? Um, and I think it is. Yeah. Um, Do you? Yes and no. Okay. So I think that, you know, like you, my, my notion of magic is very loosely defined, <laughs> frankly. It, it is not as clear as Aleister Crowley's, you know, very point-by-point definition. Um, and I also think that the line between magic and religion is just a bunch of bunk, frankly. It's, it's a terrible terrible thing to even have is that line between magic and religion um but i think that anytime you are connecting with something outside of yourself or even sometimes something that is entirely within yourself that has a spiritual and likely religious aspect to it and so, yeah, it's as magical as most things. Um, but it, it also has, it also depends on how the person who's reading the cards looks at it. Because some people, it's a, it's a game of facts and figures. This rune means this thing. And it always means this thing. And that's how I read my rune. Okay. That is, I think, an acceptable way to do an omen. I don't consider that magical necessarily. I consider that mathematical. But <laughs> okay, okay, I see. But I, I think that that 
you know, whatever the, the spiritual underpinning of how that rune came into their hands, um, I would consider that a more mathematical approach than magical approach. But that's not a bad thing either. So I guess for me, when I'm taking an omen in ritual, it is very magical in the sense that I call on a spirit ally. You even make an offering. I do make an offering. <laughs> um, I, so when I'm, when I'm taking an omen, I typically will make an offering of a dried bay leaf, um, ideally, uh, to the fire. I'll crumble it up and I'll, I'll burn it. Um, and you hear the, the crackle and the sizzle and everything. Um, and I'll say, Apollo Manticos, guide my hand, um, see with my eyes, hear with my ears, speak with my voice. And then I will do whatever it is I'm doing. Um, most often in ritual, I am pulling Greek alphabet oracle um, letters. Uh, and those, again, they have a keyword and a phrase and then like a deeper interpretation based on how you go. But I, I also do open sets, but I typically use the same prayer for all of them. Yeah. I want to come back real briefly uh -huh. to your offering. Okay. You're making an offering after the final offering. Sure am. How do you feel about that? Just fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel just fine about that. Okay. Um, it is... Part of it is me as a, as a seer, as a religious practitioner. I don't feel like I need the almost fail-safe of, oh, by the way, here's us sending all our offerings through the gates. I feel very confident that when I make my offering, it is getting to Apollo Manticos. Um, it is also a, like, one-to-one -one versus a to all the nature spirits or all the... Are you doing your own mini ritual in the middle of our rituals? Very possibly. Is that what I'm getting? Okay. It's not really, I guess it is a mini ritual. All the of. more reason to speak out loud. I do speak out loud. Yes. But that way, no one mistakes your prayer for a curse. <laughs> I mean, fair. Anyway. But I do speak out loud. <laughs> I know. Yes. Um, I know. I've heard you. Every time. In fact, I almost know your prayer myself. But well, there um, you, go. <laughs> you, you make your offering. You do your work. Um, and I usually don't make an offering. But I, I take the... Uh, the goodwill of the spirits and I see the omen as kind of that bridge between the offerings that we have made and the blessings that we receive. Mm -hmm. It is in many ways uh, the place where the actual hinge of the right sits. I, I mean I, I agree with that. Yeah. It is I think the communication that's happening is the like spirits have received these offerings what do they give in return like that is a, a very like there is your hinge there's your omen mm -hmm. um when i make my offering it is not an offering as part of that yeah main work it is literally hey spirit that i work with here's the thing i promise to give you every time you help me yeah like it, it, <laughs> so yes i guess it is its own little mini ritual within yeah <laughs> um but i think i'm in the minority too of people who like, I don't think making offerings is super common. I think it might become more common than you think. I know well, that you've I mean, given the idea to a couple of people in this podcast will give that idea to more people. Well, and so. anyone who's attended my workshops on divination, like I suggested. Yes. Um, 
So I'm sure it's getting legs, but I do think I'm probably in the minority. Yeah. And folks who don't make offerings should not feel like they're doing it wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> well, like I said, I don't make an offering usually myself um, because I, I kind of see it as that continuation. When we say the hinge of the ritual, I should define my terms. So this is where, you know, the, the whole ritual up until this point has been we are making offerings to the spirits and making more offerings and making more offerings and making more offerings. And then it is at this point that the rite kind of reaches its pinnacle. Mm -hmm. And what was going up to the spirits is now coming back down to us. Uh, so the blessings start to flow down. Um, and like cows. Like cows. Let out in the morning <laughs> at dawn to go down to the waters. <laughs> so too do the offerings flow. Maybe I'll use that. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I'm talking about with the hinge. But um, it's it's where the energy of the right shifts from us making offerings to the spirits offering to us, and which isn't to say that the spirits don't offer to us during offerings and we don't offer to them when they're giving us blessings. But that's a more complicated conversation, I think, than what I want to have right now. Um, but I see omen taking as one of those key things that we do in ADF rituals. Uh, one of those things that makes a ritual in, in ADF, ADF style. style. Right, because it doesn't exist in it most didn't. other traditions. <laughs> it didn't exist until we started doing it, uh, at least not commonly. It existed in some traditions, but we really brought it in the mainstream yeah. in ADF. Um, and our DNA did something. They, they used to wait for like a, a bird sound or some yeah. sign from nature. Um, they set their window and waited. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the the reason that I see it as one of those key things is because our theology is built around this notion that the spirits are real and we can talk to them and they can answer us. <laughs> and that's kind of the, that's one of the key ritual assumptions that we make as ADF Druids is that, yes, we can speak to the spirits and yes, the spirits can speak back to us. There's, there is some kind of connection, some kind of flow between us. It's not us praying up to the heavens and we just do it because we're supposed to. There's not just us waiting for the spirits to do something and, and we don't ask or we don't provide anything to them. It's a reciprocal relationship, and a reciprocal relationship requires communication. And so that's why when I look at it and I look at who we are as an organization and, and as a church, um, that's why I see that as such a, a fine characteristic, um, is because it's, it's central to the, the, I said theology before, but it's really central to our ritual assumptions. So... We act as if that is the case. That is what our ritual is built on. We, we act around the notion of communication with the spirits. For someone who's doing the omen for the first time. Bring your book up. I would agree. <laughs> I, I think... Got there, a cheat sheet? Bring it. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with... You should have used your set before. Yes. However... It does not have to be memorized. Yes. Much like if you're going to read a part in ritual, 
you should have read it out loud once before, at least, before you stand up in front of people and try and read it. Mm-hmm. Um, read it all the way through. Same thing with the divination set. You know, know what's in it. Know if it's missing a piece. Those kinds of things are important, I tend to think. Um, yeah, count your runes. You should have 24 if they're Elder Futhark. If you have 25, you have a blank rune, and that blank rune is probably not terribly useful to you. <laughs> Unless you lose one. <laughs> yep. In which case, it should be sitting somewhere where you can find it, and you can replace your Hagalaz with a blank rune. It's all good. <laughs> your Hagalaz fell behind a couch. Yeah. Who'd that happen to? Um, Missy. Lisa. No, Missy? I don't know. I don't know. One someone of, in our grove. Yeah, someone in our grove, their Hagalaz fell behind the couch, and they had to use their blank rune. Um, um, but yeah, so I would say it's perfectly acceptable to use your cheat sheet or your book. Um, as we had in one of our recent rites, if if there is another seer who you trust, feel free to bring them with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Talk to them beforehand just to... to, to set expectations. Well, yeah, because if if you're not comfortable doing the reading and you want them to interrupt you, let them know you want them to interrupt you if you get it wrong. If, however, you just want them to consult if you're not feeling it, um, let them know that too. Because mm-hmm. they can just stand there and, and look pretty beside you. That's cool. Um, but you don't want them stepping in if that's not what you're asking right. for. And you don't want them not stepping in if that's really what you wanted. It's so, almost like communication amongst meat people is also important. Almost. <laughs> almost like it. But uh, outside of that, I really like how in our grove, and it has it has spread elsewhere, that we very firmly have a stance of the CRCs with the CRCs. Yeah. Um, that came out of our, our Pagan Fire seminars in 2012, I think, is when we trotted that out for the first time. I, maybe we trotted it out formally, but it certainly was We've in existence before then. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I, I am always, and this may be a me personal thing, I'm deeply uncomfortable in rites where the seer pulls their omen and then members of the congregation like chime with meanings. And that may be because that's not my community, right? And so that is how they always do things and it's real comfortable for them. For me, I really like trusting my seer mm-hmm. to do that piece of work and knowing that they are being communicated to and speaking what they see. Yeah. I mean, they are a seer. That is, that is what you have hired them to do. Let them see. And, you know, that's fascinating. So when I, in many rites, I will take on multiple different roles in multiple different, like, I'll speak a whole bunch of different parts. I'll do whatever. But if I am the seer, I don't want to do anything else. Because I... I like to sit in kind of a light trance throughout the ritual mm-hmm. to be just open. kind of open and hearing things beforehand and then being able to gather it all and take my omen. Yeah. Um, so, so when I am the seer, I personally don't like to do any other parts. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got this cosmic picture that's been painted, right? <laughs> And you need to be able to see the whole thing. You, you need to be able to see how things interact mm-hmm. with the omen, the offerings, the blessings to come. You need to be able to, to kind of understand the process 
through which things will go. And, and in a very things. mundane way, I don't want to be nervous about, is it my turn yet? Is it my turn yet? Is it mm -hmm. my turn yet? Or, crap, I misspoke. Like, I don't want to be nervous about that in me. I want to be able to just take a step back and see it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see more the further removed you are from the running of the right. Mm -hmm. The running of the right is a very mundane process. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it is traffic copping. You're standing there in the middle of the road directing people and telling them where to go. Yep. And you're directing people who can't even see. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> spirits who don't even speak your language. It's great. Um, but yeah, no, the, the process of, of seeing as an holistic endeavor really involves looking at everything. And we talk, we've talked in the past about open systems and closed systems. Mm -hmm. And I tend to see the entire ritual as an open system. It is, you know... You, you watch for the things that catch your attention and you use those to inform what's going on. We sometimes ask the question, have our offerings been accepted? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the answer is no. And that answer does not always come from the rune or the card you pull. It comes from the feel you've got. Mm -hmm. And that feel is built over the course of the rite. If someone is doing an omen for the first time, would you say that if at all possible, they should try to make that their only job? If possible, I think that that would be a good idea, um, especially for a first time, but I would probably say that for most parts. So well, I, don't, I, yeah. I don't know that the seer is necessarily in a, you know, a, a special one for that, but... But if it's new to you, maybe do just that. Yeah. Um, but what, what I would probably say is if it's your first time doing that have a conversation with whomever it is who's running the right and don't be the person who's running the right mm -hmm. because the other thing is it's kind of like writing your own performance review and so if you're the one in charge of the ritual and you're also the one in charge of finding out if the ritual went well right <laughs> you're going to have some bias either Either you're going to be biased to the point of, um, I want to, I want to look good in front of all my friends, and so I'm going to say it went well, even if it really didn't. Or you're going to nitpick yourself to death. Exactly, <laughs> you're going to be so, you know, no, these, this was terrible. I'm stuck in my own head. I can't get out of it, and you're, you're not going to pull the right omen that way. So. I will say that if I am seer and I do need to take multiple parts, the one part I will always refuse is waters. Yep. I will never do seer and waters because I don't want to be... Muddy a, them? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be the person who's saying, okay, here's what we get and then distributing it. Like that's just, it's really weird to me. Yeah. I don't know that that would bother me, honestly. In fact, I'm sure that it doesn't bother me all that much. That just helps me remember what I'm putting in the water. Yeah, I think you've occasionally done both. Yeah. And I mean, it's fine. It's just, it's one of those things that I don't like to do. Yeah. And that is a perfectly valid thing, I tend <laughs> to think. Um, but the, 
the way that I look at the omens too is that there are lots of different ways to ask the questions. Mm -hmm. um, we have built it so that usually whomever is in charge of the right, the traffic cop, asks the questions of the seer and the seer answers the questions. That's more recent. That's within the past four or five years because we started having seers who were new and weren't loud enough. And so the people in the, like the congregants didn't know what was being asked. Yeah. And so when we say, do, like, do you accept these omens? They could not rightly say yes or no because yeah. they didn't know. Yeah. We, we used to say, um, and, and where did I get this from? I think I got it from Kai, actually. Um, I could be wrong. It might have been a six-night thing. But I, I really like just saying, seer, take the omen. <laughs> and, and then it's hands off, and the seer can do whatever the heck the seer wants to do. And especially early on, I was really clear. I'm like, I'm going to tell you to take the omen, and you're just going to do it. I don't care how you do it. Mm -hmm. You're just going to do it. Um, but, yeah, I mean... Omen taking is one of those things where people get kind of really, really into it. They hunch over the omens. They, they talk down at them mm -hmm. because they're so intent on them. It's hard to take an omen and take a moment, recenter yourself, and project loudly mm -hmm. to tell people what you've actually seen. Um, so, yes, um, that is indeed one of the reasons that we sometimes ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But one of the other things that I tend to recommend to kind of piggyback on what you said earlier about, you know, pulling an omen and crowdsourcing <laughs> yeah. the, the response uh, or, or the meaning of the omen, um, I tend to tell people, don't say the name of the rune of the symbol, or right. the symbol that you have pulled because what's important is not the symbol. What's important is what the seer has seen. And so if you pull, you know, Wunyo and you say, hey, I pulled Wunyo, the keyword almost everyone has for the rune Wunyo is joy. But maybe what you saw was ignorance is bliss. Not joy, but ignorance is bliss. If you say to someone, or if you say to the crowd, I pulled Wunyo, you're going to get a whole bunch of people jumping up in the air and say, woohoo, yay, we got joy. But if you tell them, here's what I see. I see the joy of being lost in thought. I see the joy of not understanding our circumstances. I see the joy that masks our ignorance. That has a whole a very different, different omen. Yeah, it's a whole different meaning. And it, it doesn't give people the chance to, to start running with it before you put, and then you have to pull them back. And that it doesn't work. I will also say, just kind of alongside that, if you are going to tell them what symbol you've pulled, don't tell them only what symbol you've pulled. Yes. Because I've been to a lot of rites where, and I feel like for me, it's, always runes that it happens to me with. This is why I picked Wunyo. I'm pretty sure you knew what Wunyo was. So. Yeah, well, this is what happens to me with, and, and I feel like it, 
people with other symbol sets, it, maybe I just haven't been to a right where it's happened, but I have more than once been in a right where someone will be like, ah, yes, we have received Lagus from the nature spirits. And that's all they say. And I'm like, <laughs> because what my brain says, right? Because I've, I'm real close to knowing all the runes at this point, just through like osmosis. But I remember La Goose by its shape, which looks like a goose. Yeah. La Goose. And so the only thing that comes to my mind when someone says we've received this, I'm like, ah, oh, yes, a goose <laughs> on the water. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going to say the name of the symbol, please give us more than that. <laughs> La Goose. Become ungovernable. <laughs> be, a, be a horrible goose. That's what the, and you know what? Now you've ruined it for me. That is what that word is going to mean from henceforth. From now on, La Goose is a beautiful day, and you're a horrible goose. <laughs> but, and then, to, to kind of run along with that, different people pronounce different runes differently. Mm-hmm. And so... What's the difference between Augies and Elhas or, you know... Or different, like, the Elder and the Younger and the Anglo-Saxon yeah. rune. Like, what's the difference between Ing and Ingvaz? Yeah. Right? And so if you say one and someone, like... Yep. Awesome ass. It's, it, it, there's, yeah. there's lots of near misses mm -hmm. that you can have there. Um and, I mean, even the rune poems are different in what mm -hmm. they mean. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no. So, my recommendation is always avoid saying the name. Say instead what you see. I think that's a, a useful thing. And I think that's useful both in open and closed systems. So, yes. when I, like, for instance, when I fire scry, I say literally what I see a mm -hmm. lot of times, such as the the curl of the smoke around the log which represents taking the path of least resistance like so I, I weave it into what I see and then what meaning dumped into my brain with that visual yeah. um, and with an open system it's it's easier to do that mm -hmm. because you don't have preconceived notions out in the audience either right so open system versus closed system to, to recap that briefly we've talked about that in the past but a closed system is where you have a limited set of cards or symbols or whatever that have kind of a, a specific set of meanings. An open symbol set or an open divination system is one where it's very open to interpretation. There aren't like specific things that everyone knows about these things. In, the case of fire scrying it's the way the fire moves in the case of scrying by lightning it's where the lightning goes and and how it strikes you can also have a closed system or an open system with the same symbol set so if you were to divide up the sky into 16 parts and watch the lightning and say all right anytime it goes into this 16th of the sky this is what it means you can close off that symbol set by get by putting right. a window around it and defining it more clearly but generally speaking that notion of augury like the flights of birds um, or something like that you can gain information from it just by looking at it and that becomes a unique symbol set for you 
that is dependent on where you are right now, how you're feeling, what you ate for breakfast, and, yeah. uh, you know, what kind of right you're in. So that's the, the difference between open and closed. Um, I do think that divination is very clearly a communicative process, as mm -hmm. we mentioned earlier. Um, though I also don't think that it necessarily has to be such. Um, I went off earlier on this whole process of this is, you know, this is how we treat it. Um, and I, I somewhat derisively called the, the notion of, you know, the symbol always means this thing is somewhat mathematical. But this is where orthopraxic versus orthodoxic comes. I don't really care how you come to that conclusion mm -hmm. about what that symbol means. As long as it's internally consistent and it works for you, the CRCs are the CRCs. Right. And that's what's important. Um, so don't take any of this advice as being anything other than the CRCs with the CRCs. That is our, that is our core message here. <laughs> it really is. We, um, as someone going into this who has not necessarily taken a, a public omen before, uh, having questions can be helpful. Yes. Like specific things that you are asking about. You already mentioned that a lot of times we ask, "Has our offering have our offerings been accepted?" Yeah. Um, which can be scary. It can. I know people who uh, flip coins for that. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you got a fifty-fifty chance, that's rough. Um, but we should probably talk about what you do if the answer is no. Because we don't usually talk about that. So, it's happened to us. Yep. And um, we have a growth policy. Do you know what our growth policy is? So, our growth policy yeah. is we take an omen, the answer is no, we make more offerings. We take an omen, the answer is no, we make more offerings. We take an omen, the answer is no, and we thank everybody for coming, spirits and people, and close the gates and go home. Yep. So, <laughs> three times. Yeah. And then if it's if it's not accepted by the third time, we we skip the working and we skip the blessings. Thank everyone and go home. Mm -hmm. And that's all there is to it. Yeah, my my favorite example of when we have had an experience of our offerings were not accepted was at Comfest one year. I was taking the omen and uh, I think I pulled Omega, which is you will have um, a difficult season, not a useful one. So like no. Pretty clear no. Yeah. Pretty, pretty clear no. Um, and I looked over at the, because I'm getting ready to make another offering, right? So I look over at our altar, realize that we have not made any of the offerings on the table. They were literally just sitting there. We had made a couple of them. Which might make it worse, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> so I point this out to the folk assembled and everyone comes up, like everyone comes up and take different bowls and we make all the offerings and then I take another omen and it was fine like that was clearly the issue we had yes. promised them presence and not delivered and any. just <laughs> waved them in front of their faces yes. um but yeah yeah um we I think the the furthest we've gotten is is two no's and a third yes each time and and there are some pretty spectacular things that have come of those no's um Reverend Jenny Hunt ran for preceptor because we got two no's and she was like, all right, I'm going to make an oath to throw my hat in the ring 
and we ended up with a whole series of events that led to us actually having study programs in ADF. Like, <laughs> like we didn't have them. We had the DP, but we had a practically defunct uh, generalist program, a, practi a, a completely defunct super druid program, completely defunct bardic programs. It was it was a mess um, for a. a organization that prides itself on training to have no training <laughs> um it was awful and so but jenny threw her hat in the ring jenny won and we ended up with study programs through all sorts of different things and i don't know that we would have if it had been unopposed or someone else had won and i don't even remember who she was running against doesn't matter um yeah but huh. yeah it, it's very clear to me because i mean She's the one who brought me on as a deputy. She brought Raven on as a deputy. It, it, yeah, it cleared the way for a lot of things to happen. And um, so, yeah, there, there are good things that come out of that sometimes. Sometimes mm -hmm. you end up with the kinds of offerings that you never would have expected. Yeah. Because um, when, the, when the altar's empty, what is there but our words and our deeds? <laughs> yeah. What um, what other questions? Like, how did you develop the Druid Moon questions? Well, let's come back to those in a moment because okay. the other questions that we most often ask in High Day rites okay. is, what blessings do we receive from the, spirits. the ancestors, the nature oh, spirits, the, the, and the deities? But that's a separate set a that lot is. of times. Yeah. So we either usually ask, have our offerings been accepted? And what blessings do the spirits give? And what more do the what, spirits need of us? Yeah, what more do the spirits need of us? So if, if we're asking that first question of have our offerings been accepted, then it's what are the blessings and what more work do we need to do? Right. Um, but we've also shifted over to three questions of uh, instead, what do the ancestors bring us, what do the nature spirits bring us, what do the deities bring us? So mm -hmm. it becomes more focused on gifts than on work, um, which I don't really have a problem with the only thing i struggle with with that one is when we have a being of the occasion i'm like well why did we even call them yeah like i struggle because sometimes to bless the waters sometimes the seer like includes them they say like what do you what gifts and blessings do we receive from the shining ones especially bridget like yeah especially whoever our deity of the occasion is um but sometimes they don't do that, and then I'm kind of left feeling like, well, what about what about that other, the whole reason we're here? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, we threw a party for this person, and we gave them presents. It's all good. <laughs> they don't need to give us anything back. It's their party. Goodie bags. Yeah. Okay. Goodie bags. Fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we can do that. Um, but yeah. So the, those are the two most common high day sets that we ask, um, and. Some of it, the, the decision between the two is usually just up to the druid in charge. Um, sometimes it is up to expediency. So at Dublin, the Dublin Irish Festival, mm -hmm. which is a huge festival, which is far more presentational than any of our other rites. And it's full of people who don't know anything about druidry. They're just there to get in free that morning. Um, and the Druid service sounded interesting, more interesting than the Eucharist, which I don't actually believe because the Eucharist sounds terribly interesting. And it's always at the same time as I ours. I know. <laughs> um, 
it's a mess where they play only U2. It's great. Um, and presumably And received. I've never been able to go. Um, but, uh, the, but for that, we have traditionally, actually always, done the three questions of what do we get from the ancestors yeah. and nature spirits of the deities, because for us to turn around that right and put Close it all back it out yeah, yeah put all that toothpaste back in the tube uh with 300 people watching is daunting. not only daunting but virtually impossible like the questions don't fit the need yeah is how i've looked at it well and i look at it too because we don't have the opportunity for those people to, to make, make offerings. offerings and so it would be really weird to ask if the offerings have been accepted when we haven't even given them the opportunity to make them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just one of those things where situationally it doesn't work and everyone kind of needs to make that call for themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there can't be a hard and fast rule on that. Um, for Druidmans though, we ask a different set of questions. Um, and that set of questions is, uh, what is our path? From this month to the next. Well, it's, it's very specifically, it's what is our path? What is, um, what should Grove focus on until the next moon? And on what should the individuals, what should we as individuals focus on until the next moon? Um, and these are typically disconnected from the high days. So our high days run a cycle and our druid moons run a cycle and they don't really connect, which mm -hmm. is an interesting thing, um, which we'll get more into in a moment. But um, the reason that they were built that way is because what is our path is about how we got here. So it's what we've done up to today. Um, it's, it's our past. Hmm. And then our present is what should we together focus on? We're here together. What is it that we should focus on? And then individual was designed to be what, what can I take forward? What can I do to improve things um, personally for myself? And so they were designed, it was designed to say, here's where you've come from. Here's where you stand with your fellows and here's what you can do to improve your life. That was kind of how that was designed. So Yes. <laughs> and we don't say that in rituals. Well, so. no, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that maybe you should take the opportunity to explain that to the Grove as a whole <sighs> at some point. Because when, when I am leading Druid Moons, or when I am the seer taking that particular omen, what is our path to me is the overview. Where are we going? What is the overview? Mm -hmm. And the how do we get there? is the Grove focus and the individual focus. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have a lot of past in yeah. it. So I'm just saying, like that's well, how I interpret that set of questions. Here's the thing. You asked where it came from. Where it's going, I don't know. And I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of folk drift. Just because I made it up doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing that we have done and, I don't know, I came up with this just a couple of months ago, so we're not... We're in the really, workshopping stage. We're, we're definitely in the workshopping stage. Um, and it's very clearly a collaborative process, which I like. I, I don't have to do these things all by myself anymore in, in this, you know, 
the, this really focused headspace, which is great. Um, I can throw an idea out there and people will run with it and change it and it's beautiful. Um, but one of the things that I really wanted to do is I wanted to make space to look back. Mm -hmm. And what I, was, what I was feeling about our omens is that there wasn't continuity. Because every time we get to a ritual, we'd ask a whole new set of questions. And there was no reflection. It was all looking forward. And so I thought about it for a little while. I'm like, you know what? What I really want is I want us to reflect on those previous omens. I want to tie back to them. I mentioned this with the, the recreation of the Gates mm -hmm. episodes where I, I like to go back to things. I like to, to remind people of where we are and how we got here. Um, put them back into that frame of mind. And so what I, what I came up with was I have the seer from the last rite come up and reiterate those omens. And that has worked reasonably well. Um, fortunately, we keep good records and we're able to find them again. Mm -hmm. um, we either send them to our officer chat, we put them in the notes uh, or the business meeting minutes. Um, it works out really well. But um, the, the process of doing that, so in Druid Moons, we ask about our previous Druid Moon. In High Days, we ask about our previous High Day. Right now, we're not tying the two together. Mm -hmm. And so, interestingly, it has increased the separation in those cycles for me. So when I'm at a High Day, I'm focused on the last High Day. When I'm at a Druid Moon, I'm focused on the last Druid Moon. Um, and I'm not sure... Not sure what to do with that yet. Well, and and with I'm that, I'm not sure it matters. But. With that, because like you, you did that in the the first right we did it. Yes. It was very like, what's happening? Yeah. And the next right, I threw in the question of what did we miss? Yes. Like. Which, I also <laughs> like. So we we review the previous question, and then the 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 seer for the current right says, all right, from that stuff. We'll pull another omen, and we'll see what we missed in that. Mm -hmm. And that is great. Um, and then they'll they'll pull the omens going forward. Right. So we, we've got not only that connection to the past, where we're saying, this is what we did last time, you know, last week on a very special Three Cranes Right. <laughs> <laughs> we did this. This week... We look back on that. We recap it, and we say, "Here, here's here's the problem that developed from there. Here, here's what here's what has come of that." And then going forward, here's how we take all that stuff and and move it mm -hmm. into the future. Um, what I didn't like about that as much, and I'm probably only now just expressing this um, for the very first time to you, but it's true. Go um, on. <laughs> <laughs> what I didn't like was the language around mist. What I what I preferred, and I, I picked it up and ran with it in the last couple of, of things that we've done, is what tools are left unused. Oh, I like that. Because mist implies we ignored something, or it was hidden from us, or something like that. And I don't like the idea that we were given messages and ignored them, or they were given to us in such a cryptic manner that we couldn't use them. Okay, okay. And so I like the idea of saying, all right, You've given us tools. You've given us blessing. What tools are left unused? 
what can we still carry forward into the, like the new that. work? I like so that. that's that's where I've again we're workshopping it I together know. <laughs> <laughs> in real time in ritual. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the the path that I've I've taken on that, and this is literally four months old, yeah. maybe. Yeah, it's so, that. It's so that. we're still playing with it, but um, it felt it's starting to feel right-ish, right-ish. I'm not totally sure. I don't know. I don't know if it, even next year it'll survive that long. Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, right now, I, I'm liking the direction it's going. Um, and again, I'm liking that I don't have to do it all, which is even better. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and that also, that gives the previous seer a chance to come back up. It gives us another part well, <laughs> that we can give out. Well, and it encourages a grove to have more than one seer. Yes. Because if you have to have two people, yes, um, it encourages that diversity of skills. The worst case scenario, if you implement this, is that you end up with two competent seers. <laughs> <laughs> because they, they have to at least trade. Right. Um, and, and I think that has, that has a lot of developmental potential mm -hmm. for your skill set, um, which is the other reason that I really like it. Because any grove that has been around for any period of time We'll have someone who really likes to do the omens. We have a couple of people who really like to do the omens, and it makes it harder for us to rotate in people who need to do work for their study program, or, or people, who are who have just yeah. decided they want to try it. Like, yeah, it's just because they're always there. They're always ready. They've always got their cards. They've always got their om set. They've always got their rune set, and that's awesome and great. And I love them for it. Um, but this gives space for someone else to step in, and right. it, and they can still they can still do it all the time. It's great, um, especially having two cycles of rights to mm -hmm. kind of bounce around on. So, yeah, in terms of the magic, in terms of the work that we do, um, the omen is one of those really important pieces. Is there anything else that we need to cover with them? <laughs> uh, I don't think until we start talking about waters. Yeah. And we'll talk about omens again when we talk about waters. It's true. Because, yeah. Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org, and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes, and let us pray with a good fire.